Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Are you looking for a designer to help you with your next product or startup? When I'm not working on the show, I'm busy working as an award-winning chief design officer and have been doing software design for startups and other companies for over 20 years. I'm also a published author and recently sold a startup to a multi-billion dollar company. For more information, visit kevinhorick.com. That is K-E-V-I-N-H-O-R-E-K.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Fritz Haberman. He's the CEO of PicMonkey and a nature photographer. Fritz, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I was saying to you before we, we started recording, I think I've literally used every piece of technology that you've either created and or worked on. But maybe before we get into all that stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Okay. Yeah, so I was born in Holland in the Very south cool. in Eindhoven, where um, Philips is headquartered. And when I was about five, we moved to the States. My father was a professor of computer science, and he uh, had just finished his PhD. So this is in the uh, late 60s. And so he was one of the first PhD students by a guy named Esker Dijkstra, who is one of the more famous, you know, original uh, computer scientists in the world. And so he, uh, my father took a role as uh, associate professor at Carnegie Mellon, oh, um, where he stayed for many, many years. And uh, But then we moved around a lot. Um, so he took many uh, sabbaticals and years here. So I lived in England. I lived in West Berlin at the time in 76. I lived in Munich, uh, went to Holland a lot. So I always say that my home is sort of somewhere in the middle Atlantic, somewhere in there. So um, that's, cool, that's yeah. And um and yeah, so I uh, grew up underfoot of a lot of uh, computer science luminaries that I had no idea who they were. And uh, so if your listeners know folks like Alan Perlis and Alan Newell, sure. those are Carnegie Mellon folks, you know, the first uh, Turing Award winners. And, you know, they'd come over to our house and I'd, you know, I don't know, probably uh, be playing uh, cars underneath their feet or something <laughs> like that. Had no idea. And uh, so, I've yeah, it's uh, computers and computer science has always been under... Uh, sort of in my bloodstream as I was growing up and um, and uh, always enjoyed that. And so I became a programmer when I was, I think, roughly about 14, working on these uh, big, huge PDP-11 um, machines and uh, working on a lot of research projects at that time uh, at Carnegie Mellon. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little bit on my background there, but happy to go other places as well. Sure. So you... You graduate, uh, well, you, you went to university a, a couple of places, yep. so, but you graduate. Walk us through your career up until uh, PicMonkey. Maybe some highlights along the way because you've done a ton of stuff, and a lot of people would know a lot of the stuff, if not all the stuff you've ever worked on. Yeah, so uh, I went to undergrad at Carnegie Mellon, oddly enough. And um, at that time, uh, you know, I had a bit of a crisis of what I wanted to do. 
And um, I also studied piano, classical piano. And so I was, um, you know, admitted to the music department as well and wanted to be a concert pianist and figured out very quickly that I was not in the 1% of the 1% that ever make it as a a pianist that way. And I, I probably didn't have the intestinal fortitude to really make a career out of that. So I got really interested in computer music at the time, worked with uh, the lab there um, at Carnegie Mellon with a guy named Roger Dannenberg, who does some really great AI stuff with music. And um, at that time, uh, we were working on all kinds of things like font rastering algorithms for music and this kind of stuff. And um, one of the interesting story, yeah. One of the interesting stories at that time, we Roger and I. Roger had a visitor, and we were in our little dinky lab downstairs, and uh, we were, you know, he had the visitor come in, and we were talking, and he was very interested in our our font rastering, and he was like, yeah, we're, you know, at our company, we're really interested in that because we're working with this other company who does this tech called Postscript, and I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of interesting. Well, this is what we do, and blah blah blah. And he was like, oh, that's really interesting. Would you want to come work for us? And I was like. I don't know. I'm not really sure what I want to do and blah, blah, blah. And that was that. It turns out, you know, later Roger said, oh, that's Steve Jobs. <laughs> so I was like, ah, OK. And I, you know, uh, for, for me, that was uh, one of those like, oh, hey, it was great to meet Steve Jobs that way. But um, later on, met him through my InDesign work. Sure. Um, so uh, I decided to go to um, University of Washington for a Ph.D. program. Uh, about two years into that, I figured out I was a bit of an inconsistent student. They were very kind to me, but um, I was a bit too curious about a whole number of different things. So music was still a big part of me. Uh, I was into uh, martial arts at the time, so I did a lot of Aikido. And um, I was very interested in photography at the same time. And this theme of kind of like exploring different uses of technology and visuals and you know, the font work that I'd done, the music work that I'd done really was interesting to me. And um, I basically said, hey, you know, I'll take my master's degree. And I put my resume out there. And one of the guys at a company called Aldous picked up my resume. You know, we got to talking. He was very kind. He hired me. So if, if you know, Aldous made PageMaker. Yeah, totally. And, um, and so that for, for the younger listeners in the, in the audience, uh, the beginnings of desktop publishing was really the combination of laser printers, the Macintosh, and then um, uh, Aldous PageMaker. And so uh, it, was, it was a really great time at Aldous. Uh, you know, it was ironic the first day I got there, um, uh, the, the guy that hired me, Mark Davison, great guy, took a chance on me. And the very first day he hired me, he said, well, this is my last day here. So good luck. <laughs> and so that's how my career in uh, business started. And, um, and so, you know, I found my way around there. Um, really great people. Fantastic. We ultimately wound up selling to a company called Adobe. And, uh, but before we did that, we had recognized that actually at that time cork express was eating our lunch yeah and so we were working on a rewrite of PageMaker, and that had undergone about five different starts and stops and uh we were the latest team we new hires and so um some of us architects i was the ui architect started that up and we got a year into that before we were bought by adobe and um and so uh, we got pretty far in this really great prototype uh, of this thing we called K2 at the time. 
And when Adobe bought us, um, you know, we were meeting with all these big wigs who we didn't know. And in comes uh, Chuck Geschke uh, to one of our meetings. He looks at me and goes, Fritz? And I'm like, Chuck? Because Chuck had <laughs> commuted with my dad. Because <laughs> Chuck was also at Carnegie Mellon. So it was another one of these, like, I probably knew him when I was underfoot of him and these sorts of things. But it was really a nice touch and made us feel re really welcome into Adobe. And obviously Adobe with all their technology and, and two founders who were really technical and technically oriented, you know, John Warnock, of course, and all the things that they've accomplished really was a great fit for us. And so they allowed us to continue our uh, prototyping. And from that, and many years of hard work uh, was built in design, which released in uh, sort of the mid 90s. And one, one of the big learnings there is, wow, it's hard to you know, just start a project from scratch and build it up into, you know, what wound up being a 50, $80 million revenue uh, product. But what's even worse is writing something from scratch that has to replace an existing product. Sure. So if you can avoid that, avoid that. Of course, <laughs> when I came here to pick monkey, that's exactly what we had to do. But <laughs> so don't, don't follow, you know, do, do, do as I say, not as I do. But um, so, so Adobe was just fantastic, uh, some uh, great time. We just recently had the 20-year reunion of InDesign. Oh, and uh, yeah, and so, you know, we, uh, one of the big things we did there was we really took a, 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 a look at both what are the technologies that's really going to leapfrog our competitors, how does Adobe help us, and, um, and, you know, what, what do people need going forward? And this was pre-internet, but, but still, you know, around that time frame. And as you, as you know, you know, uh, InDesign was put into later the Creative Suite, which yeah. we also worked on. And, you know, that, that really helped create a, a, a very strong uh, solution set for a lot of graphic designers. Yeah. Um, it became the industry yeah. standard, like, very quickly. Yeah. Very quickly, and I think that you know, InDesign was a little bit of the stepchild at that point, you know, with Photoshop and Illustrator being really key. But um, over time, and and the role I took in later at Adobe was uh, v, uh, VP of Core Tech. We built a lot of core technologies that went across all of these products, like okay. things like you know our printing engines. They all shared the same framework. Our user interfaces, so like all the palettes and everything that were shared, uh, you, you have me to blame and the engineers to thank. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> these sorts of things where, you know, you can really leverage the wealth of both talents and deep treasure chests of technology, uh, you know, that, that an Adobe will, will have to be able to leapfrog then a lot of the competition. And uh, so that was just, you know, fantastic. And at that time, I really had a lot of other interests as well. And we bought this small company called Macromedia, if you remember yeah, at that time. I remember that, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And um, so uh, what was ironic out of that is Macromedia at that time owned Freehand, which Aldous used to own <laughs> for the yeah, Adobe. Right, so yeah. we had to, when they bought Aldous, we had to let go of Freehand. So then uh, Adobe buys Macromedia, so they get freehand back, and freehand has to be because we have Illustrator. Yep. So we're freehand guys, but uh, freehand was a great product. It was. In I, case, I actually really, there was yeah. some stuff, like, or there were certain tools that were way better in freehand than Illustrator, like, yeah. at the time. And, but 
Yeah, and it's really interesting how you look at the tools. We had lots of debates um, internally with Adobe, just, you know, sort of the uh, IE artifacts, or sorry, AI artifacts and things like that, that you put in, um, you know, the infrastructure for UX and things like this. And the just the affordances, you know, if you read everyday, uh, design of everyday things, this kind of a feeling you really see in stark relief when you compare products that roughly do the same thing. Sure. Uh, so, so that was an interesting time period. And um, so, yeah, so in between there, I actually had a stint at a company called Real Networks. Um, so my desire for music also led me there, which was really formative years. Um, lots of, you know, uh, this was in the times of MP3s and yeah, yeah. DRMs and record labels that were scared because of the, you know, the Napsters of the world and things like that. So I was in the deep end of that uh, period of time, uh, which really shows you both the, the um, so slightly the seedy underbelly of, you know, legal rights and things like this. Sure, but for, you guys were like pretty instrumental in, in setting up kind of uh, music streaming, like yes. putting a streaming file on your website that you could act like if an artist said, I want to put up my latest single online, Absolutely. You basically had to use your technology to do that at the time. Absolutely. And uh, real media and yeah. things like that, the codecs that were around at that time, you know, were, were just burgeoning at that point. And so real networks had a real, um, you know, lead in that technology. And so what wound up happening, and, and any startup will see this, and, and real wasn't really a startup at that point, but because the industry was moving so quickly and you had you know, device manufacturers and big electronics companies mixed with record labels and artists and consumers who were just getting into the internet and everything else. It was it was chaos mixed with tons of opportunities that would come and go, you know, as as night fell, sort of. And that that atmosphere was just fantastic, totally electric. But it also, you know, uh, for me at least, combined all of the sort of business. Um, uh, learnings that you can have, you know, in one point, we were pulling 80 hour weeks easily, but the stuff that you were exposed to there was, you know, worth, worth more than an MBA uh, program anywhere else. And those kind of things, while very difficult, were, uh, were just extremely formative and, um, and really uh, glad I had them. Um, I went to, uh, I went back to Adobe when the bubble burst, at that, that time, it was the first bubble, sure. <laughs> some, some folks will remember, um, and, uh, and, and went back again on InDesign and the Core Technologies Group after that. And um, I did after the Macromedia acquisition, we had Flash, of course. And Flash, at that time, you know, it was, it was more than just banner ads. It was really yeah. games were being made through Flash. And you also had sort of now in 2007, also, uh, you know, with the iPhone coming out, a big sort of explosion, obviously, in phone technologies, but also then Facebook and these, at that time, you know, the marriage of um, technology, uh, internet, and what I would call just casual consumption. Sure. And so uh, I was very interested and had always been, uh, even from my days as a teenager, you know, as working with these uh, great uh, research labs and things. All I really wanted to do is create computer games. Interesting. You know, so I made these like, you know, uh, Star Wars came out in 76. So my neighbor and I basically made uh, one of those, you know, story adventure kind of games like Zork and Adventure at that time. That's awesome. All about 
all about Star Wars and going into the Death Star and, you know, this kind of stuff. So, you know, still a gamer at heart and all that stuff. But the real point of that was that suddenly, again, just like the real networks opportunity, you saw all of this technology mixed with big players, little players coming to fruition. And we at that time, Adobe, I think we were very poised with Flash um, to, to really penetrate that market. Sure. Um, so the CEO at that time, uh, Sean New, was very, very kind. And, uh, you know, I, I basically said, hey, let me make a, you a pitch around, you know, potentially doing casual gaming, which, you know, is sort of at the intersection of that stuff. And, and he was, yeah, great, let's do that. Ultimately made a pitch and he said, you know, this just doesn't look right for us, but, you know, it's a great great, um, you know, uh, exposition and all that. And I said, you know, that totally makes sense. But I really felt like I wanted to go pursue this. So I looked around at that time for the best, um, you know, uh, company that was doing gaming in this casual space that would at the same time have me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and luckily, that was a company called PopCap. Sure. And uh, so, you know, co- uh, a company that was started by three founders, so just really great stuff, you know. So um, they, uh, I joined there, and you could really see that, you know, this was an area that suddenly, like, it's not a big company. They are all about, you know, their slogan is, you know, it's done when it's fun. And uh, so from that, you got like, you know, Bejeweled, which you know, that was the first uh, match three game. Um, you got Plants vs Zombies. That was a small team that we did as an acquisition. Super creative. And uh, just a really great melting pot of creativity and arts and visual communication. And, and again, this intersection of all of this stuff. So that was just a playground of just fantastic stuff that the, you know, the founders really had set up for that. So I joined that as CTO. We got bought by Electronic Arts. Great acquisition for them. Really good. But, um, you know, then became, again, a, a bit of a bigger cog, or we were a smaller cog in a bigger wheel. And at that time, uh, so 2010, maybe a little longer than that, um, I also, you know, come from a family of teachers and I also wanted to give a little bit back to the community. My kids were getting a little bit older. Um, and so I joined a company called lynda.com. Sure. And, uh, so again, Linda it makes um, training videos online and also a great story, you know, husband and wife team that had been, uh, Linda was the first person, she, she was a teacher at a, a community college, I believe, and she created the first um, color palette for the web, the 256 colors, and wrote some really great books on how to do web programming, and her husband is super creative, and so they had started this, you know, video stuff at the time, all, you know, multimedia, DVDs, and and with the the crash, they were like, oh, okay, well, what do we do with all this stuff? This stuff? So they put it online and yeah. sort of the rest is history. And um, so I joined them as CTO and a little bit later um, uh, with, uh, with a good friend uh, there, uh, headed up product. And, um, you know, that, that was just, again, this feeling of how can you, yes, give back, but teaching and that intersection of learning and exposing people and uh, to uh, learning platforms in an immediacy kind of way, being able to collaborate with uh, teachers or learners and things like this. And it was just just a really great place. And obviously, we were bought by LinkedIn. Yeah, very cool. uh, yeah. yeah. And then for me, um, quite frankly, through all of this, what I haven't talked about is, you know, I love this visual stuff. I always 
for me, it's always been important to join a company whose products I would use sure. and whose product I would love, right? So whether that's Adobe for me, that was all around visual uh, stuff. And if it was uh, real networks, it was about the music stuff, uh, Pop Capwell, who, who doesn't like the game. And uh, Lynda.com, it was again about the training and the teaching. And so I was a, um, I had, quote, retired for all of literally three weeks because I was bored <laughs> to death. And uh, so then I, um, I just really doubled down on my love for photography and uh, spent about a year traveling the world, doing a lot of photography That's and, awesome. you know, uh, Africa and Hawaii and lava and grizzly bears and helicopters over Iceland and blah, blah, blah. And um, so really loved that. And, and at one point got a call from the, one of the investors in Linda that said they were investing in this company called PicMonkey and they do essentially online Photoshop and they need a CTO and had a product and they're in Seattle. So I said, okay, well, well you know, <laughs> what else, what else could, uh, uh, could be better? So I joined them. Um, and really, you know, our, our goal here is to then, you know, give, give folks that are trying to do visual communication, fantastic approachable tools that really give them confidence and help them with their brands and, um, and really help them take advantage of what power is now there in the internet and computers and mobile phones and all the rest of that stuff. So, and then of course, the pinnacle of my career is, uh, being on your podcast. So that's where I am today. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that. <laughs> so, so for people that haven't heard of PicMonkey, what exactly do you guys do? Yeah, so we have a number of tools uh, for web and mobile. And initially, we started off um, as photo editing. So think Photoshop for the people that uh, don't want a PhD in Photoshop, where Photoshop is way too difficult to approach. And I don't want to spend five and a half hours looking up all the YouTube uh, things. And at the same time, I need to get some visual stuff done. And I'm not a creative uh, designer. I didn't go to school for that. Sure. Um, yet I'm potentially running my business, et cetera. How do I get those things done? How do I create marketing material? How do I uh, do stuff for my website? How do I potentially take a nice picture or, or uh, level up my picture that I do have of my thing that I want to sell on an Etsy or maybe a headshot? So we create an online tool that's very approachable, i.e. easy to use, um, that lets you do all these things. And our difference and our differentiator is yes, we have all the you know the trappings of a, a a tool that will help you along, like templates and graphics, and you know if you wanted to really make a really beautiful poster, you can absolutely do that. But the added thing that uh, we do is we take it from a perspective of most people know about photos, and so they know about things like if you take a picture on your phone and you want to you know you want to uh, remove some blemishes or you want to add some stickers or these sort of some text or things like this. And um, what you then potentially think of is things like, well, I want it to look unique because I want my brand to stand out. And so what we try to do is add these more graphically rich tools that you would more likely see in photo editing. Things like I can apply a drop shadow to my image so that it will stand out a little bit. Um, I can do things like add a graphic to some text and have that mask things out. And so there's some deep uh, technology that, uh, similar to how we built that in InDesign to LeapFrog, we are building within our platform 
uh, now for the web and then also for uh, for mobile. And so um, we're really aiming for anywhere from the hobbyist to the professional graphic designer, but really for those what we call solopreneurs, i.e. those people setting up their business or those digital marketers that you know, don't want to learn Photoshop or Illustrator or those tools, which are awesome, by the way, but, sure. um, you know, just have like, I only need like 1% of what Photoshop does to get my stuff done. Yeah. Well, the other thing too, as somebody that knows kind of all the like Photoshop and InDesign and Illustrator and, and that kind of stuff is sometimes you just want a tool that creates that stuff really quickly. Like, Yep. Sure, you could spend hours in, in Photoshop to create uh, InDesign post or, or, or something like that. But a, a tool like uh, PicMonkey, at least when I've used it in the past, is I can create that kind of almost in like minutes, right? And it looks like I spent, you know, maybe an hour or so on it. Is that yeah. a fair kind of generalization? Yeah, I think it is. I think that, um, you know, from a, a customer perspective, what we hear a lot is, Look, I, I, I need this quickly. That's number one. I don't want to spend a lot of time doing X, Y, and Z. And the quality has to be really up there. And a lot of people are also turning into do it for me rather than do it yourself, right? Sure. So, you know, it's like, yeah, give me that template that helps me start. Give me that, um, you know, that ability to place a graphic and then erase a little part of it so that, you know, that doesn't overlap with this. And I don't have to think about it, but uh, you know, you, you're helping me along in that. And it's things like, again, what Photoshop does well. And as a photographer, a deep you know, professional photographer, Lightroom and, and Photoshop are in my workflow. Sure. But, but the point is that you know, like, if they, for example, Photoshop has 3D capabilities, right? They're yeah. fantastic, but I don't need that um, yeah, unless, yeah, yeah. you know, and so for those people that are doing that marketing, yeah, very approachable come in and then on top of that when you do want to go sort of off rails i.e you know really want your design to stand out and be unique so that it doesn't look like you're using the same template everybody else does then we have those extra tools that you can deep you know dive in a little bit more deeply um, without it being super overwhelming sure well the other thing too that you touched on quickly that i think we should reiterate is that you also have like a mobile phone version too right Yep. That I, I think a lot of people, especially when they're posting the social media, the only way to post to some social media is through your phone. I, I know you can you can run Android apps on Chromebooks and stuff like that, and you could argue that. But most people generally post to social media from their phone, and they need a tool on their phone to do that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think that what's really interesting is there's – and there's so much stuff in there in mobile versus desktop versus web and those things. But absolutely, you look at the very simple use case, which is I've got a phone and my phone is my camera. I take a picture, I do some little edits and I post it on Instagram and done. And that's a very, you know, obviously popular um, use case. And yes, our mobile app, amongst many others, does that for free. And, and, it, and it's, you know, super powerful. If you imagine what we had, say, 20 years ago, you know, I was shooting slides with a DSLR and, you know, I'd have to wait like five days and pay X amount of, number, uh, you know, dollars to get those back and then hate like half of them. So I'd only have like 10 things that I could actually use. So nowadays... You know, it's fire and forget mixed with, oh, I really like that one. Oh, yeah, I'll just post that on social media. 
But if you then think about what's the maturation of that, we're really, in, in my opinion, in, still in that first wave of what these devices can do. And you can see the platforms, whether it's an Instagram or Facebook as the obvious ones, um, where they're obviously trying to monetize uh, through advertisements, through their platform and all these things. And so you need a little bit more curation there, whether it's through, with video or whether it's with pricing or like the shop now or stories and things like that. And then when you set this up across multiple uh, platforms, like, hey, I want that on, I'm, I'm now the customer, I'm selling my goods, I wanna go to Instagram, I wanna go to Pinterest, and I have an Etsy store and my own website and maybe Shopify as well, then suddenly it's like, wow, I can't do all that on my phone. And that's not a quick edit. Sure. That's really me sort of, you know, uh, collating and managing all of my assets. And so you get this spectrum anywhere from what you're talking about, which is, you know, the very straightforward and love it because it's so accessible to folks um, and a quick uh, post all the way to this other side where, Again, I don't need to be a graphic designer, but wow, I got to manage all this stuff and help me manage that. That's that's the that's the center we're trying to hit as we go forward. Sure. The the other thing that I I think we should touch on is the collaboration features that you guys have built in cuz I think mm -hmm. basically like all the big software like the photoshops of the world don't really have that or it's it's not how you guys do it at all. So do you want to elaborate on your collaboration features? Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is one thing we did is, you know, we went out and saw uh, for techno technologically we could do a number of different things around collaboration. And certainly you see that a lot, whether people are simply using, um, you know, Slack or something like that sure. versus like just sneaker net or like, Hey, I'm using Dropbox and I, I see things, but we see this again in the entrepreneurial space and the solopreneur, et cetera. So we did this little survey um, that basically told us a lot of people want to collaborate and they collaborate in either, you know, one-on-one -on -one or one-to-many and that this collaboration network that they've set up is not only good for their business, but um, is a place where they get a lot of information or is just paramount to their business in and of itself. So, you know, things like 85% of them said, hey, my network and my collaboration is important for me to succeed. Um, and so this kind of stuff for us was suddenly like, oh, wow, okay, let's see what we can do with that, but then let's do it one extra step. And so as a small company, and as, again, people that want to really create approachable tools for this, uh, essentially what we built is there's a, there's a way to organize all your assets into uh, basically a bunch of sets of things that then you can share with somebody. So for example, let's say I'm a wedding photographer and you came to me with, um, you know, hey, Fritz, please shoot my wedding. Well, A, I'd say no, because I can't shoot that. But B, if I was, then I'd, I'd say like, great. Um, so here, Kevin, we're, we're working with that. I've got about 100 shots and I would share my space with you for your particular wedding. And I might have a number of other spaces that I share with my other clients. You could come in, just see what, you know, what I have designed so far or edited. And then we added two other things. One is commenting. So think Slack integrated to, nice. to there. So we can in real time just sit there. You can go, hey, you know what? I, I, I don't like the way that the light is hitting, you know, the veil here. And I can go, great. Then, I, you know, that, that one I'll put aside. But also the other thing that we added, which we really think is 
again, yeah, it's unique to us, but it's one of those like, what's the next stage in evolution of collaborating? Yes, but also visual design and how people want to work together. So we added what we call real-time collaboration, which is think like sort of Google Docs for photo and design editing. Yeah, so you cool. and I, you, we can look at the same picture and I can apply edits while you're watching me do that. And so that feeling of, you know, and that can be more than one person. So I could have an entire design team. We can all be remote. We can be looking at something and doing edits. You can do an edit. So you can sort of say like, oh, that's black and white. I'd, I'd really rather have that Orton. So undo it and, you know, apply something different or crop that a little bit. And so you can get this sort of collaborative, but, you know, uh, real um, imaginative and innovative kind of approach to things where, again, the technology should be enabling those things as opposed to barriering, if that's a word, sure. uh, <laughs> those, those kind of experiences. So that's, that's one of those things that we, we really um, think we're going to really double down on going forward as well. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and you touched on something that I think is actually really quite interesting. And you've kind of been on basically both sides with kind of like a creative side, but you've also done kind of obviously some of the coding side. And then with your photography, you kind of have an interesting kind of viewpoint of all this stuff, right? And just being able to kind of collaborate with other designers, because traditionally when you're doing design, you might call somebody over and they're physically mm -hmm. in a room. And sure, yep. I know in the last few years, you can kind of screen share and kind of get kind of their thoughts, but that doesn't necessarily work all the time. And just being able to, you know, be in different countries or different, you know, even in the same city, just somebody's working from home today and, and basically building tools that allow people, as long as they basically have an internet connection, can, yep. can real time collaborate on kind of photos or designs or, or both at the same time is actually really innovative and cool. Yeah, and, and not only that, but I think necessary, right? The medium that we're talking about here is visual, right? I need to see light photons hitting my yeah. eye, right? And so I can read about how to ride a bike, but until I ride it, I have no concept of that. So if I explain, like, if I'm a, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur working on my website and I go, I need, you know, a three up with this kind of stuff in in this particular design and you know, I, I basically say that to somebody, they'll be like, okay, great. And I'll put these pastel -y colors there and a bunch of other stuff. And then I go, no, no, no pastels. You're kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're like that Zen koan where you're throwing a rock out there, you get the rock, you come back and the person says, not that rock. You know, it's this feeling of like, you know, help me out here. I have to see it visually. I have to see the pixels. I have to understand intuitively with a different part of my brain that doesn't, you know, interpret things verbally. And that aspect is this whole visual communication thing. And yes, the internet and mobile, everything is changing that and people want to converse that way, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's like whether I'm conversing through video or I'm conversing through emojis or, you know, it, or, or GIFs or uh, just photos that I'm putting up there, all of this stuff is visual and, while it tells, you know, a, a, a thousand words, it's still that feeling of like that visceral, especially if you're designing, wow, that's cool. And that idea gave me this following idea. Why don't we do this? And 
and you just pile on this sort of real innovative kind of creativity, if you will. And that's really what we're trying to foster with that. Sure. No, no, that makes total sense. And you touched on something that I really kind of want your thoughts and, and get people thinking about is the visual communication side is like, there's so many things nowadays, obviously visual and, and making yourself and your company or your product or service kind of stand out is actually really tricky, right? And yep. figuring out and a new and innovative ways to make yourself stand out on the different platforms that you're on, whether it's from your website to social media to kind of beyond that from, from print as well. I, like, what are your thoughts and how do you guys actually add features and functionality to PicMonkey to make sure your users are kind of staying on that forefront and allowing them to create stuff easy and fast that, that allow them to kind of stand out? Yeah, so great question. I, and I think that is at the crux of a lot of this. I think that, you know, we do it in a couple different ways. The first is you got to make a product that's approachable, sure. that's easy to use, that's not, you know, in any way overbearing. And so to, to us, that's, that's the first thing. You know, you should rest easy in the interface of PicMonkey so that you can kind of feel like, oh, okay, they got my back. You know, that they, they will lead me to the right place if I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. So with that, you know, we, we for example, our templates – um, we have worked with some of the partners to basically say, hey, you know, what are your top 10, if you're going to Pinterest, for example, what are your top 10 best practices for people posting on Pinterest or Facebook? It might be like, hey, you know, Facebook, you want at least 40% or less than 40% text, you know, size wise. Okay, great. You know, or it has to be this size if you're doing a short pin or a long pin so that you don't have to worry about those things. You can just use a template and go, okay, I'm going to Pinterest. I'm not quite sure what size it is, but uh, you know, PicMonkey has my back and I know that. So that's number one, that okay. approachability. Yeah, you, guys, you guys are basically doing all that uh, research for the user. Yes, yes, exactly. And we talked to the partners. We also talked to experts. Like a month ago, we had a YouTube expert come in, tell us you know, this, that, and the other thing. And, and actually, here we got it wrong initially. We were making some really nice... Uh, YouTube thumbnail uh, templates okay. and he came in and was like hey guys you know look what's being posted and we were like oh and, and some of that stuff to our eyes from a design creative design perspective was like wow those those are kind of ugly don't you want beautiful designs and it was like beautiful designs don't work on YouTube you need yes. you know a lot of text you know before or after big loud stuff you know sure. and it's what converts right it's what converts yeah. exactly. And so right now we're right in the middle of changing all of those templates as an example and adding more features like uh, a couple of other features that talk to me in two months and I'll tell you about it. But <laughs> Fair enough. really, really, you know, that's my second part of it, which is we also understand both from a feature and a content perspective. So we can provide a lot of content, which we do things like, hey, I need a bunch of brand logos right. because I need a credit card you know, logo for Visa, or I need a, you know, social moniker and that, that we have that and that's great. But we also, for example, look at our graphics and go to stand out. There are some little graphics here or there or textures that you might use together sure. that, that, that if you overlap them and do a couple of little things, 
um, that PicMonkey allows you to do more deeply than other design software, then you will be very unique. And we've got tutorials and we've got blog pages and all that. But the main point is that we are creating actually graphics that complement each other so that when you use them together, you'll get a very unique look. And we have a bunch of examples of that. And so that's the second part of how we do that. And the third is for us, it is really sort of what I was talking about, but it's going out and talking to customers, listening to um, the solopreneurs and the entrepreneurs and the digital marketers, the social posters, you know, the Etsy storefront owners, and basically saying things like, okay, what, what is it that you are needing? Or let us look at your workflow. And from that, we can build or, you know, uh, or teach and then others that come onto the platform get, gather the benefit from that. And so, and you'll see us always trying new things here and there. Some of them work, some of them don't, but we'll always be trying those kinds of things to see if they catch on uh, for the customers then that are sort of at that bleeding edge. And certainly there's a lot of bleeding edge features that we're about to be releasing here in the next couple quarters. Sure, very cool. Well, yeah. and I'm curious though, to, to maybe dive a little bit deeper in so you do a lot of customer research to decide where to take the product and what features to add, but what's your gauge for like how many times you need a certain thing to get requested before you actually say, you know what, maybe we actually do need to build this or like, how do you figure that out? Because you can't really chase your tail on every feature request that you get because nope. you would go crazy yeah. and you can't implement yeah. it. So how do you balance yeah. that and actually decide what to actually build? Yeah, so um, yeah, so it's a great question. It's essentially a software engineering question. It's a, a generic question that I'd, I'm, I'm sure you've asked other folks as well. Sure. But for, for me, I think that anywhere I've gone, there's a strong mixture of experience data, talking to customers, and gut. Okay. And these four things are so important. Yes, it's good to you know go out and talk to your customers. I, a good example of this when we were doing InDesign, uh, we did some contextual inquiry. It's a, it's, a, it's a way to interview people. And it was a really great exercise. And we went out to newspapers and magazines and watched them work and all this other stuff. And what we quickly found out was we made these great features, which were all about um, character styles and paragraph styles, and nobody was using them, just absolutely nobody. And what were they doing? They were copying and pasting text and, and pasting it so that they had the look that they already had from something else and just simply oh, pasting it and inheriting that look. And so that's an example where you watch the customer and you only need to watch two or three. There's no you know, sure. huge science in this, but you can see like, oh, well, that's way easier. And so from that, we made what we call the eyedropper tool, which sucks up just the style of some text. You run over that text, it sucks it up, and then you basically drop that eyedropper stuff. You leak it onto your text, if you will. And so that's an example of users where you don't need a ton of them. Then there's sort of experience, and that experience is one of, that's how you, you know, whether it's software engineering and agile development, um, or it is, um, oh, I've seen that in movie before where everybody has the same, uh, you know, has, has number one priorities for everything and you're changing them every single day. At Adobe, you had this great um, uh, thing where, you, you know, we called it the, the vector analogy where if everybody is going different directions, i.e. all vectors are pointing in random directions, the uh, sum of those vectors is zero. 
So you're not going to get anything there. You really need a North Star that you're pointing to. And that experience lets you basically say, what is important here? What are we trying to drive? Yes, you need goals, whether they be smart goals or a North Star with strategy and those sorts of things. But you need to be able to walk backwards from a particular feature, whether through ROI or whether through strategic um, initiative up the chain or down the chain to really tie it in with where you where what's going to move your business forward. And I think that that you get that from experience, you get that yes from your you know your development process and things like that. But I think then um, you know the gut aspect is the one that uh, we always struggle with. And this is the biggest struggle, especially if you're starting out, which is you know you know small company and all the rest of that is, um, and it's mixed with experience, but it is one of those like you might hear something 50,000 times and you're just like, you know what, guys, we really shouldn't go sell shoes. We're a software company. You know, sure. it's like one of those things. It's like, nah. But then other times uh, we had this, for example, where all our research told us that the small little button that added a new graphic, you know, was fine where it was. And all these people came in and were like, yeah, no, that's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And you had one or two people that just couldn't find it. And, you know, if you can't place a graphic onto our canvas, that's a big deal, right? And so our gut told us, my gut told me, no, no, you really need that. And that's maybe an obvious example, but there are times where you kind of countermand things. So. And then last, of course, is, is data. In this day, big data, you know, interpretation, analytics, all that stuff that you can really apply. But again, you could be very data myopic to the point where you, you're, you, you know, you're contemplating your navel and you get into analysis paralysis and can't make a decision. So it really rounds that out that anywhere I've gone, those kind of things, you know, sometimes it's a little bit more of a gut feeling, sometimes a little more data driven. But if one of those uh, things is missing, then usually you're, you're probably doing yourself a disservice. No, that's really good advice. So I'm, I'm curious because you've obviously worked on very complex uh, interfaces and, and programs that are, are you basically need hours to learn to use properly and, and, and probably more than that to master. And then you've also worked on something like PicMonkey that, in my opinion, I, I think is like, there's not really a learning curve. It's you basically mm. like get in there and you start, you know, messing around and, and you're yep. making stuff within minutes, not hours. Yep. Um, how do you basically balance adding new features and functionality and keeping the product basically simple to use and, and not become this behemoth like like Photoshop where, you know, it's kind of intimidating, right? When you first yep. open it up. Yeah. Uh, also a good question. Hard to um you know always be right in this sure. situation but but the I fact think, that you're openly admitting that it's hard to always be yeah. right is is good advice right yeah it, it is you have to you know you have to approach it both with humility and curiosity i think the biggest thing is curiosity out of a lot of this uh, a lot of people get you know either stuck in a rut of like no you know this is my favorite feature and you can't do anything with it or no no I totally know the customer and I've been working with them for years and it's got to be this way and you know to me that feels like your curiosity hasn't been stoked in a while so you know go 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 back to the embers and the flames and you know run through that gauntlet so to speak but it's more about okay so how can we make yes yeah, how can we make this better but 
like what is the leapfrog ability here that really helps the people do what they need to do? So a good example of this is something we built in um, uh, PicMonkey a few years ago where we saw a lot of people put a number of different effects together and they were always doing the same effects. Okay. So for us, this was like, like, wow, okay, you know, you put Orton on with a little splash of, uh, you know, fuzziness mixed with, you know, a, a curve and blah, blah, blah. And you got this particular look. And for something like, hey, I'm doing an Instagram post or I need my brand, that look is really important to you. And so the first thing that we did is uh, we basically created personalized styles where you or uh, filters in this case, where you could say like, Everything I just did, just save that yeah, okay. as a filter, right? And so you could say, is that complicating it because now I've got these filters that I created? Or is that now I've, in one button, I've created something that I used to have to do over and over again, right? Sure. And so in this particular case, that's an easy one. Now, some of the other features that we're talking about is a lot about brand aspects. Like I have a color palette, I have a logo, I have you know, my look that I want, how can we as PicMonkey, for example, make that super easy for you to organize, to, um, you know, to, to repeat, to save time, if you will. And we think that, you know, there's uh, actually, I did my master's thesis at that time on novice and expert user interfaces. And we think that there's a, this combo, and again, why I think we're in fledgling kind of area in a lot of these things, where whether it's big data or AI or adaptive interfaces or these sorts of things where you can learn a lot about what your uh, customers are doing and potentially going forward, the interfaces can either adapt to that yeah, or you, you adapt to them, right? And so that's a lot of untouched stuff. But at the end of the day, I also think that a lot of people want to approach these tools and have them both be cool and approachable, but also sort of um, creative, right? I want to go in there and explore. I hopefully come at all of my products why I say I want to use the products of the companies I work in is like, I'm curious, like, what does that do? You know, what does this do? You know, I think my next stint is probably in uh, computer music again, you know, synthesizers. I picked up Logic Pro the other day or a year ago now, but, and, and it was like, what does this do? What does this sound do? What if I patch this there? You know, it's like this, uh, again, this, elegance of exposing but at the same time allow me to explore allow me to figure some stuff out and have some happy accidents happy coincidences and that's again the power of the platform potentially too that you have to really build in there not just a you know any old website so yeah fascinating stuff in my opinion no no totally and you brought up something that i've been thinking a lot about lately too is like adopting a product to that specific user right like yep. it kind of goes back to something as simple as just like setting up your your layer or sorry your uh your interface in Photoshop or something and then saving it right and then that's how that's my workflow yep. and I use it all the time but like actually adopting kind of software that's online more and more for that and I know there's like versions of that and people would argue that but like taking that further than that basically you know is is actually really quite fascinating where I think a lot of software is going to go in the next like three to five years, right? So the, the fact that you're yeah. already kind of thinking about that and starting to build that in is actually really quite fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. I think that, you know, the, it's, it's easy to get wrong. 
Oh, for sure. <laughs> it's like, and uh, you know, in, in the in the computer music case, I'll, I'll bring up Ableton, which I love. But yeah, a, a friend cool. of mine once, yeah, a friend of mine once said the difference between Ableton and Logic is Ableton wants to compose for you, whereas Logic wants to help you. Yeah, and it's this kind, you know, it's this feeling of like, and I agree with it. It's like at times. Ableton kind of forces me into a way of working, sure. even though I love it as a program, but it, it's easy to then be fighting the program, right? Yeah. Where, and if you're, if, you're, if you're adjusting or personalizing, it, you could be off by a little bit, and then it's really like, why'd you just do that? I didn't want you to do that. You know, oh, come on. You know, this sort of feeling. And I think what we're, again, fledgling beginnings of is, but now it's a little different because yes, AI and AI has been around forever. And, you know, I, I see AI a lot of like, you know, the algorithms have, you know, even when I was back at school, they're very similar, but the difference is we now have big data yeah, and that big data and the compute power that we can apply over huge data sets suddenly makes this personalization mixed with AI actually more, let's say tailored to people. And that aspect, I think, is where we're suddenly, where it's maybe different, where we can say like, you know, I can, you know, Kevin seems to be doing this a lot. So why don't we try, you know, this or that, or he seems to be in this part of the program a lot. And we just released this feature. Let's give him a little bit of a wizard or an on rails experience because he was really doing this and wants to explore it more deeply. That kind of stuff can really, really help in addition to like, this do it for me stuff that I was talking about before. So it's, I think it's, we're at that really interesting cusp and uh, of yeah, AI mixed with big data, but for real reasons that you can really sink your uh, fingers into the dirt of, so to speak, to really sow those seeds. No, interesting. We're, we're kind of coming to the end, but I really want yeah. to touch on um, the print shop side of, of the business. Do you want to cover that quickly and, and why you guys decided to launch that? Yeah, so we see a lot of people um, still doing print. You know, I heard 20 years ago that print is dead. Sure. <laughs> and so, you know, and it's not that, you know, folks on PicMonkey are going to be, you know, creating a 64-page uh, magazine or anything. But a lot of people want, whether it's just mementos for, you know, whether it's a hobbyist, the family, these sorts of things. But actually, I think on the opposite side, the, you know, there's a bigger demand for print aspects, whether it's print on a t-shirt, print on a, a cup, you see a lot of uh, workflows where, you know, all you have is a picture of a guy in a t-shirt um, and people are just basically printing words, you know, in PicMonkey, putting words on that t-shirt and the t-shirt doesn't exist until you actually order it. And it's, so it's these kinds of things, if you add all the collaboration features we were talking about before, you can really see that you know, with um, with a lot of the tools that a PicMonkey or a combination with our partners that we can offer, then that's that's really interesting to then say like, well, you've got one-stop shopping, if you will, uh, for these kinds of workflows and cases. And these are, you know, people that want to sh uh, sell their wares. Totally. Um, or it's people like, you know, my wife, she's uh, very involved in the school and things like this and on the PTA board, and she's creating you know, uh, big, huge posters for the musical or little tickets, you know, that are really graphically rich, but that's all print material that has to go there. And these people are on a budget, et cetera. So I think that, you know, uh, don't let people say that print is dead because it's certainly not. I think it's, uh, in its, uh, rebirth, so to speak. 
no, I I hundred percent agree with you. But sadly, we're out of time. So how oh, yeah, do we sure. close with mentioning where people can get more information about Pick Monkey and any other links you want to mention? Maybe your photography. I I think I was looking at it. The stuff's beautiful. So people should oh, have a look at that as well. Yeah, that's that's really easy. That's just fritzhabermanphotography.com. And uh, that, that, yeah, uh, happy to have folks go there. But uh, www.pickmonkey.com uh, is a great place to start. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from folks, you know, how they're enjoying it or not enjoying it. We always want to learn from that. And, uh, yeah, hey, thanks thanks for, very much for having me. Hope it was interesting for folks. No, um, the other thing, just – uh, people can also download you guys on uh, Android and iOS uh, as yeah, well. Yeah, the, so. the Apple Store, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for that plug. Absolutely, you can download us from there, and uh, both of those are available in the App Stores, and it's free. Um, there is a uh, touch-up features that you can uh, also buy in there, where you can become a subscriber, and then you can share your photos between desktop and uh, mobile, and then we keep those around for you in perpetuity. Very cool. And it works really well, like just for somebody that's actually used your product a, a bunch in the, in the past, yeah. that, you know, it works really well um, between kind of going between the different platforms. So uh, but, it's, it's uh, an easy way to get over to the desktop for sure. hundred um, percent. But yep. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man. Yeah, you as well. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com. And keep building the future.